We want to welcome each and everyone officially here today in our worship together, and, and we're glad we're able to get back live in our streaming. For those who've been missing for the last couple of weeks, missing the live stream, it wasn't intentional, just we had some internet issues, Facebook issues. Hopefully we resolve that and we welcome you back. But just to, just to remind you, those who are tuning in live, if for any reason that we are not able to get on Facebook live, at the time we have service, you can always wait for a little while later in the afternoon. The link will be posted through our podcast, through the YouTube channel, as well as a link on the website, and will later reappear on Facebook. So, you know, hopefully that will not be an issue anymore. So, but we're glad everybody is together, and uh, and we look forward to our time of, of worship um, together. Just a reminder of, I'm just going to cover a couple of things in announcements for, for a little bit. Just want to, because a few people have asked me about the Operation Christmas Child, and those who are tuning in are also wanting to know a couple of questions answered, so I thought I would take care of it uh, so everybody can participate in here. The Operation Christmas Child, far as we know, is still continuing as planned. Um, we're still to collect all of the items that we're going to collect for the shoe boxes. The Operation Christmas Child is obviously uh, an enormous ministry that goes across the world. Of course, they're going to be adjusting because of the pandemic on how they distribute the boxes and how they minister to uh, the children. Uh, so, but we're still to do our collection following uh, all of the, the guidelines of what can go in the box and so forth. And then we will have a collection uh, drop-off point that is uh, in the fall at a certain location in our area. And then that uh, group will get it transported to the Charlotte area. And from that point on, that's where all the adjustments will be made uh, with the pandemic and so forth. And hopefully by the time of the distribution of the boxes, things will have leveled off to some degree, even across the world. So we still encourage each and every one to continue to purchase those little items of, of importance and, and also to recognize the fact that, that, that God knows, <laughs> he knows what's going on. It's not a surprise to him. He knows how to make it work. And he'll give the wisdom to the right leaders, uh, whether it's us locally or globally. But it's always a, a beautiful the opportunity of ministry um, and we have in the bulletin we have certain items that we suggest that you buy but you just think about what can go in a little shoe box that will surprise or benefit a child um, and of course nothing that is, is resembles weapons uh, any kind of liquid uh, you know that can be flammable uh, even things like toothpaste cannot be put in there anymore. I don't know about hand sanitizer anymore because, you know, in the past they said no, but I noticed planes, but I think, I think even hand sanitizer is a no-no. So anything like that can, can spoil. Uh, and uh, and I, look, I guess they look at it as possibility of causing problems. But, you know, if you also want to contribute uh, to the postage, we still have to pay that. It's listed in our bulletin around 600 and uh, six, about $650 we've collected so far. Our goal is to get to $900. So if anybody wants to make a contribution to that, you can. There's a little tin box back there that says postage for shoe boxes. You can just lay it in that box. Um, and the way we take up the offer, of course, is at the end of the service in a little tithe box back there. So you can just dump it all in there and get where it's gotta go. But uh, anyway, just uh, we look forward to our time together. I also want to remind those who are viewing by uh, live through Facebook as well that you know we ha we offer some online or some Zoom classes of Sunday school uh, that happen at one o'clock on Tuesday afternoons and at six o'clock on Thursday. If anybody would like to participate, uh, you feel free uh, to do so. But uh, you just contact myself, contact the church office, leave a message, contact Donna Felker. Uh, any, anybody can participate. It's fun 
as we get in all our little boxes. And if you want to be boxed in, you can. Literally, it's little boxes that you'll be in. You can participate and conversate, have fellowship together. It's really fun. You know, it's a it's a fun option. Uh, of course, we look forward to the time we can meet back in person. And of course, we, we know now that we're probably through October now. We'll continue the, the Zoom and no in, in-house meetings until at least through October. But uh, hopefully we'll be able to resume back and change some things. Uh, and so, but anyway, I trust that uh, we do, we'll be putting out new Sunday school material. We've got the books out. If anybody who, who is not attending in person and needs a book, please contact your deacon. Uh, we'll try our best to get a Sunday school book to you. Uh, but there are some, for those who are in-house, there are some Sunday school books that will begin for the first week of September. And we'll have some new devotionals out, new Home Life magazine, stuff like that. So any of that material we put out is, is you know, welcome for anyone to, to use and, and have together. Well, today's theme is on holiness. And I want, I want you to think about Philippians chapter 2 verses 10 through 11. Don't, don't even worry about looking it up yet, okay? Because I think when, I, when we quote that verse at the end of the message, that it will come alive to you as to what it relates to in relation to God's holiness and our being in the presence of that holiness. So that's kind of what the theme is about. And we'll be looking at many scriptures all throughout the message today is so numerous of scriptures this is what i'm going to ask those who are at home and those who are in the building is every time you hear a scripture reference write it down it's all going to be related to holiness and you can go back and look at these scripture and i'm going to quote the scripture but i'm also going to give the reference and it's so numerous of scripture it was hard to knowing that we have those who are attending live and those in person didn't want to leave anybody out. So the best thing to do is just write down the references. There's probably going to be 10, at least 15 different references of Scripture, all related to holiness. And then, of course, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter, which we'll read together, uh, you know, and, and read out loud with you. But, you know, just think about the holiness. Holiness of God is, um, to me, mind-boggling. <coughs> But at the same time, it's not. And for you and I, it's, it's hard for us to really wrap our mind around true, pure holiness. But even though we can't wrap our mind around that true holiness, it does not lessen the fact that God is holy and remains holy. And how do we as people respond to that holiness? Next week, I'm going to come back with a message. Today's message is about the holiness of God. Next week's message is about the holiness of you and I. Okay? The two, hopefully, will mesh together of what great spiritual success is. So, uh, anyway, we want to have prayer together as we move forward. And, uh, and so let's pray together and just recognize the holiness of God. Father, we thank you that we're able to come into your presence and recognize this day your wonderful, gracious majesty and holiness. Lord, we're thankful that you, your character of who you are is not defined by our finite minds. That it's all within scripture and we recognize that you are majestic, you are powerful, you are God. And may you be glorified, exemplified, lifted up, and recognized as holy God this day. And we thank you for the time that we have to worship together, the time to, that we think together, spend together, a fellowship together, but more importantly, recognize your presence and your power. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. <laughs>
is God. Be still and know that He is holy. Be still, O restless soul of mine. Bow before the Prince of Peace. Let the noise of clamor cease. Be still and know that He is God. Be still and know that He is faithful. Consider all that He has done. Stand in awe and be amazed, and know that He will never change. Be still. Be still, and know that He is God. challenged at any time in our life to try to, to understand all of the facets of God's character. And when our minds are going and we're trying to study, we're trying to uh, carry forth in our understanding, a lot of times we just be still. I remember Roy Fish uh, was the leading uh, professor of evangelism for really all of the uh, the seminaries, the Southern Baptist Convention seminaries, and I was privileged to be able to study under him. He was a type professor that when you walked into the room, he had a spirit of discernment that was, that was so welcoming, but at the same time, very, uh, it, it caught you by surprise. The element of surprise was always there. There was a time we walked into the room and Dr. Fish says, he's right in the middle of his lecture and he stops and he says, something's wrong with you guys. Let's drop to our knees. You know, get out of your little desk and drop to your knees. And it turns into a prayer meeting. You know, and, and when you get through with that, you, I mean, just like thinking of it, my hairs are standing up on my arms because I can remember the experience when we got off of our knees and, and looked back at everyone, the radiance, re recognizing that that was a very holy, sacred moment that was beyond belief for all of us. Not because of anything we had done, but because we were encouraged to submit to the majesty and the holiness of God in prayer. 
There are times throughout our life that we will be challenged in our thinking, our understanding, our definition of who God is at various moments of our life. There may be times we cast doubt and we say, where is God? Or we, we, we ask the question and all the evil and all of the turmoil we see in our lives, where's the holiness of God? There are times we're going to cast those, that doubt. But regardless of what we cast forth as doubt, it never changes the fact of who God is. It doesn't change the fact that he is in all of, of the economy of his life, of his character, is all intact, regardless of how we think God to be at the moment in our life. So let's think about the holiness of God. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 5, 3 through 5, as well as verses 13 through 17. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And according to his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being protected by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Beautiful words, isn't it? That's hope right there in 1 Peter. Hope for anyone who is at any point in their life unholy, who has given their life to God and have come to understand holiness for themselves. Therefore, in verse 13, get your minds ready for action. Being self-disciplined, set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. Do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance or your sin or your past life, however way you want to word it. But as the one who called you is holy, God, that is, the one who has called you who is holy, who will always be holy regardless of what we think, whatever we experience, whatever emotion we have, the one who called you is holy. You also are to be holy in your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy, God says. And if you address as father the one who judges impartially based on each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence, being still in reverence and knowing God during this time of temporary residence. So during those times of doubt, during those times in which we're trying to figure life out, during those times of questioning, during those times of heartbrokenness, during all those times we are in a temporary residence and it's all getting us prepared for the holiness of God that would that remains uncorrupted, imperishable, and continues as unfading. That holiness, as Peter says. You know, I love music. I know you do. It's a gift from God. It captures and carries that which cannot be adequately sometimes expressed in words. Music, as Plato said, gives wings to the mind, flight to the imagination, and life to everything else. Music sets forth what's important to us. It moves us forward. It helps us be changed. It helps us to grab a hold of things. Just like the song that Kim sang, Be Still, reminds us that it is important that we let things just quiet and settle down within us when the noise and the clamor and the chatter is happening all within us it becomes important sometimes to just be still and know that he is God that experience that Roy Fish gave us Dr. Roy Fish gave us in that classroom of seminary was one of those times to where we realized the problem was not anything else but us there was too much noise on the inside for the professor to give forth a lecture 
on the area of evangelism. And so he knew that we needed to become steel and recognize the majesty of God. It's interesting that all throughout Scripture, there are songs and psalms presented. You realize the first song recorded in Scripture is Exodus chapter 15. And Exodus chapter 15 becomes the first song of Scripture, and the last song of Scripture is Revelation chapter 15. It's interesting, both have the same chapter, but a different book. Exodus, and go back and read that one when you have time. I know you've got plenty of time to do that, but in Exodus 15, as well as Revelation chapter 15, you'll find two songs, and in those songs, there is one part of the song or the psalm that is listed that will remind you of what is most important as you study between Exodus 15 and Revelation 15. And it is one word, holiness. God is holy. It's interesting that, that after God demolished any notion of Egypt's false gods, and yet, you know, any of those projections of, of men that they had as they tried to worship idols and other things, that God delivered over one million Israeli slaves from the grip of the Egyptians with ten awesome plagues and ended with the parting of a Red Sea. Moses led the whole nation in a song celebrating God's holiness. One verse captures the gist of the entire song. Lord, who is like you among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, revered with praises and performing wonders? That's the question. Moses is asking a rhetorical question that he already knew the answer to as he says, God, who is, is there anything in my life that I can compare to who you are? And he says, there is not. And I realize that it is the holiness and the majesty of God beyond belief that I stand in your presence as a leader, leading these people to capture the land that you have promised the land flowing of milk and honey, that promised land. When the 90-year-old apostle John was granted by God to look into the future, he saw a moment when the final outpouring of the wrath of God was about to take place upon the world. Gathered in heaven were those whose faith and allegiance to God in defiance to the rule of the Antichrist and it cost them their lives. And yet John tells us in Revelation 15, verses 3 through 4, it says, they sang the song of God's servant Moses. Reference back to Exodus chapter 15. And the song of the Lamb, which is the fast forwarding of the future, of the coming, the second coming of Christ. Great and all inspiring are your works, Lord God, the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name? Because you alone are holy. Because all the nations will come and worship before you because your righteous acts have been revealed. A beautiful song of praise and recognition as the Apostle John, exiled on the Isle of Patmos, was able to get a vision of heaven. And right in the midst of the book of Revelation that's recorded all those wonderful, sometimes confusing things of trying to interpret all throughout that book. But in the middle of that, in chapter 15 is a song that reminds us of who God is. So in between Exodus 15 and Revelation 15 is God's holiness over and over and over again 
you'll find it more than any other theme throughout all of Scripture. Holy is used more often as a prefix to God's name as an adjective than it is a noun. And so it is the reference of the fact that we, we stand in the presence of holy God. We pray to holy God. We confess our sins to holy God. We are saved because of the holy God. We have understanding and enlightenment because of the holiness of God. He is holy. Two men in scriptures, that of Moses and John, permitted to be able to see into the throne room of heaven and write about it. And then you look back at the, the servant of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, as well as Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. Isaiah 6, verse 3, Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, are two other men, that of John and Isaiah, who says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is the one thing said about God in his, in his fashion. No other attribute of his is repeated three times in Scripture. There's no other attribute that is repeated three times. Keep in mind, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's the only attribute repeated three times in Scripture. The holiness of God is amazing. And it is, it is something that grabs our heart. So this morning, I come to you to present to you truth about God who is, who is mysterious, yes, but so quieting and so awesome that it should make us tremble. If you dare come with me over the next few moments in thinking, you will understand why righteous Job would say to God, I heard rumors about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I take back all my words and I repent from those words in dust and ashes. And Job says, now I understand. I've heard all these rumors about who you are, but thank you, God, that you're allowing me to see you for who you are. If you turn aside from other distractions and you draw near to the common things that God sets forth by the fire of his presence, you will understand why Moses feared to come too close to the burning bush why he took off his sandals as he stood there in God's presence. If you look intently at this truth about God, you will, you will join Isaiah, a man of God who studied and thought about God, who proclaimed God's holiness as he was, as holy God was left saying, woe to me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among the people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts, he says. Isaiah 6, verse 5. Isaiah 6, verse 5. He says, I am so wretched in who I am. And when I look into the mirror, I see a man of unclean lips. I see an unclean life because I have seen the king. I've seen the holiness of God and my life cannot match to the holiness of God. Roy Fish was an evangelist. And then at the end of that prayer meeting, he pointed his finger and he said, the reason why you're on your knees is because there's sin in your life. And God is not a God of sin. He's a God of holiness. Confess your sin to God, one to another. Tell him what's on your mind. Tell him what's on your heart. Clean your life up before you leave this classroom. God is holy and you're not. Confess it. Wow. 
We were beyond thinking, am I going to get an F or an A here? <laughs> he was very serious. We felt chained in that classroom and none of us dared leaving that classroom without doing business with God. And Roy Fish just stood there smiling because of the joy on the inside, smiling at what was happening and the transaction that was happening between each of us and God. And it's amazing how we're able to do it in 50 minutes when the next class was supposed to come in. So what does it mean to say that God is holy? Unfortunately, I really just gave you the introduction. <laughs> but I promise you, it will move a little faster. What does it mean to say God is holy? There are basically two strands of meaning to this word holy. And then I want to help you to understand what Isaiah said and what Peter said and what the Apostle John said when they said, I have seen the Lord. First of all is the understanding of what it means to say God is holy, that it is, it is the fact that he is distinct, separate, and unique. That he's distinct, separate, and unique. The basic meaning of holy in Scripture is to cut away or to separate. It was R.C. Sproul suggested that the word conveys the same idea that we express when we find a garment or we find a, a golf club or we find some piece of merchandise that's outstanding to us and has superior excellence. And we say, I found this in trying to communicate the goodness of that to someone else who say, I found this and this is a cut above anything else I've ever found. Now, I'm not comparing God to a piece of merchandise, especially in talking about holiness, nor am I relating him to some type of garment. But I am relating it to the fact that he is a cut above everything else. There's nothing in comparison to, to who God is. And there's nothing that you and I can ever say to downplay the holiness of God and change it because he's going to remain holy. And he is a cut above beyond measure than anything else in our life. So when we say that God is holy, we're not talking about one characteristic out of many about God. We're talking about the character of God himself. So we're not saying that holy is a part of that character. The holiness of God is the character of God. And I confess, I have referred to it many times over as a part of his character. Forgive me for theologically producing some untruth through the years. He is not, it's not a part of his character. It is his character. Who will compare Isaiah 40 verse 25 says, Isaiah 40 verse 25 says, who will compare me to and who is my equal? Asked the Holy One, God. And we must answer, there is no comparison. God is not just supersized version of you and me. He is transcendently separate in a class by himself. He is subject to nothing and he answers to no one. He is who he is because he is holy God. When Hannah rejoiced in God for answering her prayer for her son, she prayed in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2. 1 Samuel 2, verse 2. There is no one holy like the Lord, there is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. She's talking about the distinctiveness and the separateness of who God is. David's confidence in God was fortified by considering his holiness. In Psalm 86, verses 8 through 10, Psalm 86, verse 8 through 10, 
David says, Lord, there is no one like you among the gods. There is no works like yours. All the nations that you have made will come and bow before you and yet will honor your name, Lord, for you are great and perform wonders. You alone are God. That's the first strand of its meaning. What the Bible says about the holiness of God. He's like, he's not like anything or anyone that we can come up with. He is above us. He is beyond us. He is so different and so rare that no one in the Bible, regardless of how devout or how learned, failed to crumble in fear and humility, repentance when they catch a glimpse of the holiness of God. When God met Habakkuk, the prophet, he described this reaction like this. In Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 16. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 16. You'll find it nestled in one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament toward the back of that, of the Old Testament. And this is what it says. I heard and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones and I trembled when I stood before you. The same thing that Isaiah said is, woe unto me, for I am a man of unclean lips. It's the same thing Moses says, I'm kicking off the shoes because I, I, the place I'm standing in is holy ground because of the holiness of God. You see, he was, he was shattered. Habakkuk was shattered by what he saw. When we see God as he is, it traumatizes us because we immediately see ourselves for who we are and the incongruence of our life is overwhelming. The inconsistency of our life is overwhelming. Brothers and sisters, there's a lot of religious technicians in our world today, whose goal is to make us feel comfortable with God at every level. Now listen to what I'm, what I'm saying. Some may want us to feel that God is someone we can hang out with, that we can confide in, call on when we're in tough situations, regardless of the relationship that we have with him and regardless of what kind of life we're leading. I heard many make reference to God as you, you, you just scan, scan some of the, the televangelists today. Listen to conversations you have as you wouldn't say anything to defame God's name. The one phrase that surely sounds like an unholy reference to God is the reference that the man upstairs, the old man upstairs, I've heard it. I've heard some pastor or preacher, will, you, will you, you pray to the man upstairs for me? I want to say, why don't you go upstairs with me? <laughs> and you'll find that he's not upstairs. Contrast the 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 making things seem so trivial. The bumper sticker next door neighbor view of God that says, you know, here, here is God and therefore because of his commonness, I'm invited into his presence. No, it does not happen that way. We watched Dr. Roy Fish stand there and say to us, I cannot speak about the holiness of God because you are not holy. A man who could discern the wretchedness in all of God's servants who are gathered in that room, and I being one of them. And I watched him help us approach the holiness of God in a correct way. It never hit me until this week 
what that experience was about in 1988 when I was in school. I've always referred to it as a wonderful prayer meeting that he led us in. It had nothing to do with prayer, a prayer meeting. It had all to do with us confessing our sin, our unholiness in the presence of the holiness of God. It was like, you dummy, how in the world could you have missed that all these years? The man's dead and gone now, and it just hit me what happened in 1988 in that classroom on my knees. Psalm 50, verse 21 and 22. You thought I was just like you, God says, but I will rebuke you and lay out the case before you. Understand this, you who forget God, or I will tear you apart and there will be no rescuer. <clears throat> Hear what the psalmist says? Don't lose the fact that I am distinct. Never lose the fact that I am separate from anything else in your life. Never lose the fact that I am the most unique of your life. It's dangerous to think or to forget that God is holy. We trifle with the living God in our own perils. He's not our buddy. Our God is a consuming fire. Hebrews chapter 12 Verse 29 says that. Hebrews 12, verse 29. Let the mystery of who he is strike you today. He will not fit into your neat theological formulations. He cannot be defined by finite minds. That's a part of why it is, it is said that he is holy. A second strand of meaning is that he's absolutely pure. Holiness is being set apart from anything impure in order to be completely given over to God to what God says is pure. Next week, we'll be talking more about this aspect of the strand of holiness. But when you apply this meaning to God, His holiness points to what 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says. 1 John 1, verse 5 says this, There is absolutely no darkness at all in God. James tells us that God is not tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone. It is not God's desire to tempt us unto evil. James chapter 1 verse 13 also reiterates that same truth of 1 John 1 5. So James chapter 1 verse 13. Back to the book of Habakkuk chapter 1 Verse 13, just put it as H-A-B. It's hard to spell that. You can go back and find it in your scriptures. But Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13 adds that God's eyes are too pure to look upon evil. He cannot tolerate wrongdoing. In a word, God is perfect without sin and he's flawless. That's the understanding of absolute purity. One man was right when he said, there is no darkness in his understanding, there is no spot in his will, as his mind is possessed with all truth. There is no deviation in his will from that truth. He loves truth and he loves goodness. Job chapter 4 verse 18. Job chapter 4 verse 18 says this, God puts no trust in his servants and he charges his angels with error. So blazing is God's purity that the sinless seraphim who serve him in heaven cover their faces with their wings. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 2 says. Isaiah 6 verse 2. With the concept of purpose and purity in God established, how does this now relate to us? <laughs> now I've really got you thinking, wow, how am I ever going to pray to God again? No, that's not what I want you to think about. I want you to think about I'm ready to pray to God very quickly because of this. So let me give you another thought. What difference does God's holiness, uh, 
Now let me go back to let me go back to one other thought. I'm a, I, the mo, probably the most important thought is this: when you and I understand the distinctiveness, the separateness, and the uniqueness of who God is, and we understand in its right form of the purity in all its completeness of who God is. When all of that is within our grasp of our understanding, embedded in our heart, practiced through our life, then this is what happens. What happened in that classroom that took me, I hadn't done the math, what's the difference between 2020 and 1988? 32, 32 years. It took me 32 dumb years to realize that what I did in that classroom, along with 54 other people who had committed their lives to the vocational calling, standing before that professor who could not go any further because of the wretchedness and the sin in our life, what happened in that classroom on my knees is this. When you and I recognize the distinctness, separateness, and uniqueness, and the purity of God, we will see the Lord. And that's the understanding of His holiness. When you and I, only holy people, can see God. I long for that experience now. I long for that moment that I could not grasp 32 years ago. And the understanding that God's character, a part of his character, is his holiness. No, his character is holiness. Everything else falls underneath it. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the good news is this. Every born-again believer has the beautiful opportunity to see God. Isaiah saw him. It may come out when you see him. Woe to me for a man of unclean lips. Or it may be like Moses. Kick those shoes off because where I'm at is holy ground. It may cause a reaction in your life and mine that we have no idea what that reaction is going to be. But it will be good. Because only holy people can see God. Hang on to that thought as we will reference that in just a moment as we close out the message in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. So what difference does God's holiness make in our life? What difference does holiness make in our life? There were two other scripture references to write down and just go back and read it yourself. Psalm 24, verses 3 through 5. Psalm 24, verses 3 through 5. And 1 Peter chapter 1, as we read, we stopped reading in verses 14 through 16. So in that first chapter of Peter, go back and continue to read in verses 14 through 16. What happens... When our life is not holy, our days are riddled with sin, and our heart is attracted to sin, and our minds tend to justify sin. So bent upon sin in ways that Jeremiah tells us that we struggle just to justify and identify ourselves, the heart is more deceitful than anything else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? As Jeremiah says, 17, chapter 17, verse 9. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. And when we look at ourselves, again, the question is, what's the difference? What difference does God's holiness make in our life when we're living in our minds because of the holiness of God and the unholiness of us? We see it as a contradiction because the two never can meet in its purest form. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 echoes, no creature is hidden from him but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. We're caught red-handed 
Our hand is in the cookie jar and mom just says, don't eat a cookie for supper. And we get caught red-handed in the cookie jar. Our sin is not only makes us totally incompatible with holy God, it makes us guilty of treason. Stay with me now. I'm not bashing you here because I fit in the same category. So our sin has us guilty of treason. You ever watched any movies on the on kingship and the subjects and the loyalties to the king? If you ever speak against the king, the earthly king, then it's treason. Even even have thoughts and wishing his death would be treason. <clears throat> Anything that tries to tear him down from his throne is treason. And so sin can be cause us to be guilty of treason. We have broken his law, defied his commands, fallen short of his glory, trespassed on forbidden territory, missed the bullseye of perfection of the standards set by holy God. So how can a holy God who must judge sin keep his integrity by pronouncing guilty sinners not guilty? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 gives us the answer. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, and this is where it gets into the difference that holiness makes in our life. For Christ also suffered for our sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that, we might, that he might bring you to God after being put to death in the fleshly realm, but made alive in the spiritual realm. The judge laid down the gavel. When Jesus says it is finished, he says to us, not guilty. I declare you holy. I grant you righteousness. I pardon you of treason. I take away the guilt of your sin so that you can come into my presence and see me as holy God. What his holiness demands, his grace provides and is provided through Christ. What his holiness demands, his grace provides through Christ. He took the hot seat of God's eternal, holy disdainment at sin at a very single act at Calvary and took care of the unholiness within us. That's why the very man who drove the spikes in his arms and in his feet and jammed that crown upon his, his, his forehead and upon his head could stand there at the base of the cross and lift up his eyes unto the hills and lift up his eyes into the holiness of God in torn flesh and say, this man was the Son of God. Because at that very moment, God took care of the unholiness of those who confess Him as Lord. And he, he says to them, you have rightful position to enter into the presence of this throne and address me as your king and see me for who I am. I am holy and I'm making you holy every moment of the day. So the difference that God's holiness makes in our life, and I close out with this, is the saving holiness. Now I'm just putting an adjective to that thing just to get you to understand it, and for me myself to understand it in my simplistic mind, is that that holiness is a saving holiness. Do you have the holiness of God working in you in Christ? Or is His holiness set against you? Have you fled to Christ deliberately, personally trusting that what he did on the cross is your only hope of being right with God? Or are you still carrying your sin and is setting up the appointment for the fierce wrath of God? Saving holiness. The difference that holiness makes in our life is that when we cast ourselves before God and we confess our sin, God smiles with abundance and He moves with grace 
And he says to us, welcome, my child. Welcome to me. Welcome. Come into my presence. Worship me. See me for who I am. I am your holy God. And second of all, there's the serving holiness. Not only does that holiness save us, but that holiness compels us to service. What's the evidence in your daily life that the Holy Spirit of God indwells within you? Does your behavior, your choices, your habits, your language show that you are in the language of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His possession, so that you may proclaim the praise of the One who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's what holiness does in your life and mine. When I was a 12-year-old boy, I stood there in the living room of my home when the Methodist minister came in in his graciousness and his love for our family continued to talk and try to persuade my father for the claims of Christ. My dad was lounged in his chair, really unpresentable in his short pants and torn up t-shirt. And he jumped up from that chair and he looked at that minister and he pointed his finger, excuse me, Larry, and he says, I will never bow down to Jesus Christ. As a 12-year-old boy and my mom in the kitchen, we just cringed. How could you speak, first of all, to minister that way and then to make reference against God that way? Even though I had no concept of God, I knew you didn't talk that way. And then I watched my father when my brother was hit by a car thrown 50 foot up in the air landing on that asphalt below in his dying condition, rushed to the hospital. There at the pediatric floor of the intensive care area of pediatrics on the third floor at that time of Roper Hospital. Brother clinging for life. And finally, I and my sister was allowed to come in and see our brother after several days. And the doors opened. And there, every little compartment was draped off with curtains, not individual rooms. Remember that, Cindy? And Mary? We pulled the curtain back. And there was my father on his knees crying out to, to God, if you could hear me, please spare my son's life. Just a couple of years later, this all happened between the two. And then on August 2nd of 2000, I can't even remember the year, 2008, 2008, 5.30 in the morning, the phone rang. My sister says, Daddy's dying in an EHC right here in Garden City. Supposed to be going through therapy because he had lost his leg because of diabetes. The gangrene couldn't be stopped. It was taking over his entire body. She said, Daddy's dying. The only thing that he wanted was help. I sat on the side of the bed at 5.30 that morning helping my dad understand approaching the throne of God and that God is holy and he will clean up his unholiness as he submits his life to him. Philippians chapter 2 verses 10 through 11 so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue shall confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, when you and I get to that point, and we have, and if you've come to that point in your life that you submitted your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, then it is a glad confession of your life that He is Lord. And you don't mind bowing before His presence because you understand the holiness of God. And you understand that in bowing in His presence, you are seeing the Lord. Only holy people can see God. That's why we shouldn't be judgmental to those who do not know God. They haven't seen Him yet. But when they see Him, the hallelujahs take place and we gladly bend, bend our knee, we bow our head, and we recognize the majesty, the holiness of God that our tongue confesses from what our heart believes that He is Lord. So what do you need to confess to meet holy God today? Again, this is not to crush you or to judge you or to cause guilt in your life. This is to recognize the invitation of every day of where we approach the throne of God and as we confess to God, we meet Him. As I developed that question, that 1988 moment in that seminary classroom was more training 32 years ago than I ever could have believed was happening in my life. It just took several V8s and several aha moments before I realized it. But as we bow before the King, He declares us not guilty and He allows us to enter in His presence and He allows us to see Him in all his holiness. But it will only come after confession. I'm not your priest to hear your confession. I will help you in that confession. I will pray with you. And I will talk to you, yes. But I'm not the one you need to confess to. Fall to your knees. And if you need help getting up, call your deacon. He'll be there. She'll be there. No, I'm just kidding. Fall to your knees and confess what you need. Father God, we confess you as Lord and we confess our sin. We ask that you take any treason against you away and any guilt to be dismissed. Help us to see your majesty in all your holiness. May we understand your grace, your presence, and your love. May we realize the truth of pardon and loving kindness and compassion. May we see the vision of you running down that dirty road and coming to us to embrace us and welcome us home. Ready to party with us from all of heaven with all your angels over one repentant sinner who calls upon your name. Father, thank you for loving us and thank you for gracing us with your presence and thank you for helping us understand holiness and your power. We love you. We honor you. We reverence you as holy God. In your name we pray. Amen. Holiness, holiness is what I long for.
this is what I need Holding this, holding this is what you want from me Oh, oh, oh.